0: Um, What is the difference between a preacher and a priest? All right, I'll answer that one. Um, A preacher is one that communicates the gospel. A priest is one that mediates between mankind and God. Um, A preacher is a speaker and an articulator of the gospel and the message of Jesus, okay? They're preaching the gospel. So it makes them a a preacher a preacher. A priest is simply... A representative. Okay. I'm going to give a short answer to that a priest is simply a representative. They repre- A priest represents God to man and represents man to God. They're the mediator. They're the middle person between God and man, which is why now that the office of the priest is a non-existent office, because there's only one mediator now between God and man. And that mediator is Jesus Christ. So there is no priest now. He is our priest, Jesus is our priest, Christ is our priest. And so um, there's no one who stands between us and God anymore. We have access directly to God through Jesus Christ. And so um, we need not a representative as we, we've been actually reading through all of this throughout the throughout mm-hmm. our time in reading the scriptures. If, if you've been here, you know what this is all about. This is the read and rant. We spend time in, we spend about 20, 30 minutes every day reading the word. Okay, we spend twenty or thirty minutes reading the word, and we're just journeying through the entire scripture because often I think the reason why a lot of us have these questions is because we've never been exposed to just sitting down and reading the entirety of the scripture, and so that's what uh that's really uh the purpose of my time. That's why I'm here. I'm here to encourage you to read the scriptures and to do it with you and to show you how much scripture you can actually uh, get through by simply committing your time um, to the reading of scripture. Um, And not even that much time. We've gone through now Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and now we're reading 1 Samuel. So, And hopefully what you're getting from all of this is you're getting a very broad, um, a more broad understanding of what god's will is what god's plan is and what the purpose of the scriptures are cj man i'm encouraged by that i'm encouraged by that so yeah so i know you asked the question what's the difference between a priest and a preacher um the simple yeah so the simple answer to that i usually don't answer questions it's not usually q a time but i need to do more of that what do you guys think about that i think i should do more q a um to allow maybe some time for that maybe i can set up a day i don't know just for q and a i don't know we'll see but i, I don't know if we're going to do that yet but that's something maybe we can do but um yeah so uh but i've i've yeah so i've gotten that question before what's the difference between a preacher and a priest or what's the difference between a pastor and a priest um so the the short i'm just giving you the short answer the short answer is a preacher is simply a communicator Okay, they preach. That's what a preacher does. A preacher preaches, communicates the gospel. A pastor is one who's been entrusted by God to shepherd. The word pastor is actually the word poiman, uh, poiman, and the word poiman means uh, shepherd. So a pastor is a shepherd. When Jesus told him to feed my sheep, feed my sheep, um, he was t- so he's the shepherd. Okay, he's the good shepherd. And so poimon is the uh, title for pastor and God entrusts under shepherds to shepherd. That is to care for the sheep. Um, and so, and then a priest, a priest is the simplest answer that I can give you. And we see the office of the priest in the scripture, but a priest is a mediator. Okay. A priest is a middleman. A priest is one who stands between man and God. Um, a priest, especially when we read it through through the Old Testament, is, is that a priest, right, represents God to the people and represents the people to God. They're the mediator, okay? They're the mediator. And so this is why the office of the priest doesn't exist anymore, because Jesus outdid that. Okay, there was no set, no necessity for the priest anymore because now Christ is our mediator. He is the mediator. The scriptures tell us that there is only one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ. So there is the office of the priest is unnecessary because now every believer has direct access to God through Jesus Christ. Okay. Um. Somebody asked, "When is the Sabbath?" The Sabbath is now every day. <laughs> that's the short answer. <laughs> the short answer is the Sabbath is now every day. Every day is the Sabbath. Um but that's another conversation for another day. Um the Sabbath is not a day you set aside now. It's uh a being in Christ. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. And so uh anyway, <laughs> that's a that's another conversation for another day. But I'm glad he is our rest. That's exactly right. Jesus is our Sabbath. So the Sabbath is every day there's no day set aside now for the Sabbath. As a matter of fact, the law of the Sabbath was for the children of Israel, um, not for us now. And um, and and again, if you ever, if you want to get more insight on this, you can go back to the reading rants because we've been reading all through the Scripture to help give insight and understanding and perspective on all of this. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to read. Uh, we're going to continue reading. We've gone all the way from Genesis now, and we're in 1 Samuel chapter 5. So I want to give you an opportunity. So good to see you guys, IG fam. So good to see um, all my TikTok family. I can't get the Facebook fam going today. I don't know why. I, it's just not working. But um, it's so good to see you all. And so we're going to spend some time in the scripture. And I pray that you would uh, I would pray that you remove yourself in the scripture. And read the scripture for what the scripture says. And to see how the scripture applies. Today, we're not doing a Bible study, but we're doing a meditation. And what we're essentially doing is we're asking God three questions. God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? That's the first question. And and God, what are you revealing concerning people? And the third question we're going to ask is is, God, what are you revealing concerning me? What are you revealing concerning me? Um... Okay. Heinrich, the short answer is is uh, the office of the priests, um, it, it doesn't apply today. The Orthodox priests, there's the the functionality of pastoral work and shepherding that often we see priests, quote unquote, people with the title of priests that they fulfill. But to say that there is a priest who stands between man and God, um, no, there's no human being that does that anymore. Christ has uh, fulfilled the law. Okay. Uh, so anyway, uh, let's go ahead and let's pray and let's get started. Father, I thank you for giving us this opportunity to come today, this morning to read your word. Lord, we're just asking to hear from you. We're asking to hear from you. Father, even now, as I'm uh, about to engage in your word, as we're all about to engage in in, in your word, I just pray that you would um, speak to us, speak to us today Lord. convict us where we need conviction, correct us where we need correction, guide us where we need guidance, lead us in the way that we need to be led. I pray for Melissa. um, who's in a crisis of faith. Um, Melissa, I know you're here. Father, I pray for Melissa, who's in a crisis of faith. Father, I pray that Melissa right now would encounter encounter you. Pray that she would encounter you when we say that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read 1 Samuel chapter 5, and let's see what the Lord has for us today. First Samuel chapter five, and I'll be reading verse one and we'll read for about 20 minutes. And then afterwards, I'm going to spend some time in reflection. We call this the read and rant. So you guys can listen to me rant. Amen. Um, It says this in verse one, then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. When the Philistines took the Ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon fallen on the face of the earth before the Ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and set it in its place again. And when they rose early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the ground before the Ark of the Lord. The head of Dagon both And both the palms of the hands were broken off on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso was left of it. Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any who come into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. But the hand of the Lord was heavy on the people of Ashdod, and he ravaged them and struck them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And the men of Ashdod saw how it was. They said, the ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is harsh towards us and Dagon is our God. Come back to that. Therefore, they said and gathered to themselves all the lords of the Philistines and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, let the ark of God be carried away to Gath. So they carried the ark of the God of Israel away. So it was after they had carried away that the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great destruction and struck the men of the city, both small and great and tumors broke out on them. Therefore they sent the ark of God to Ekron. So it was as the ark of God came to Ekron that the Ekronites cried out, saying, They have brought the ark of God to Israel, of Israel to us to kill us and our people. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and sent away the ark of the God of Israel and let it go back to its own place so that it does not kill us and our people. For there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city. The hand of God was very heavy there, and the men who did not die were stricken with tumors. And the cry of the city went up to heaven. Uh, chapter 5. Sorry, chapter 6. Now, the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners, saying, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it to its place. So they said, if you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but by all means, return it to him with a trespass offering. Then you will be healed and it will be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. Then they said, what is the trespass offering, which we shall return to him? They answered five golden tumors and five golden rats, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For the same plague was on all of you and on your lords. Therefore, you shall make images of your tumors and images of your rats that ravage the land, and you shall give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from you, from your gods and from your land. Why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? When he did many things among them, did he, did they not let the people go that they may, might depart? Now, therefore, make a cart, take two milk cows, which they have yoked, hitch the cows to the cart and take their halves home away from them Then take the ark of the Lord and set it on the cart and put the articles of gold, which you are returning to him as a trespass offering in a chest by its side, then send it away and let it go. And watch, if it goes up the road to its own territory, to Beth Shemesh, then he has done us this great evil. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by chance. And the men did so. (laughs) This is funny. Then the men did so. They took two milk cows, hitched them to the cart, struck up their calves at home. And they set the ark of the Lord on the cart and the chest with the gold rats and the images of their tumors. And the cows headed straight for the road to Beth Shemesh and went along the way, lowering as they went, and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. The lords of the Philistines went after the border of Beth Shemesh. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley, and they lifted their eyes and saw the ark, and rejoiced to see it. Then the ark, <clears throat> then the cart came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh that stood there. A large stone was there. So they split the wood of the ark and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. The Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the chest that was with it, in which were articles of gold, and put them on a large stone. Then the men of Beshemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices the same day to the Lord. So when the five lords of the Philistines had seen it, they returned to Ekron the same day. These are the golden tumors which the Philistines returned as a trespass offering to the Lord. One for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Eshkelon, one for Gath, one for Ekron, and the golden rats according to all the cities of the Philistines belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities and country villages even as far as the large stone of Abel on which they set the ark of the Lord which the stone remains to this day, in the field of Joshua of Bethshemesh, then he struck the men of Bethshemesh, because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck fifty thousand and seventy men of the people, and the people lamented because the Lord has struck the people with a great slaughter hmm. And the men of Beshemesh said, who is able to stand before this holy God and to whom shall it go up for us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kajash saying the Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up with you. Chapter seven. Then the men of Kajash came and took the ark and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. And consecrated Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. So it was that the ark remained in Kirjathjearim a long time, and it was twenty. It was there twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, "If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods, the Asherims, from among you, and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve Him only, and He will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines." So the children of Israel put away the bales and the Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. And Samuel said, gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered together at Mispah, drew water and poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted that day and, and said, there we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mispah. Now, when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the Lord of the, the Lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So the children of Israel said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord, our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it up as a burnt offering to the Lord. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord God for Israel and the Lord answered him. Now Samuel was offering up a burnt offering. The Philistines drew near to battle against Israel, but the Lord thundered a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel went out to Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as Bethkar. And Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shannon, called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far, the Lord has helped us. Thus far, the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued so the Philistines were subdued, and they did not come any more into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel, and the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath, and Israel recovered its territory from the hand of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. He went from year to year on a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, Mizpah, and judged Israel in all those places. But he, but he always returned to Ramah, for his home was there. There he judged Israel, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Chapter 8. Now it came to pass, when Samuel was old, that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of the firstborn was Joel. The name of the secondborn was Abijah. They were judges of Beersheba, but his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Then the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But this thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them, according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now, therefore, heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel took all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them over for his own chariots and to be his horsemen. And some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over, <clears throat> over his thousands and captains over his fifties. He will set them to plow the ground and reap his harvest. And some of them will make weapons of war and equipment for chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He will take the beasts of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves and give them to your servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men and your donkeys and put them to work. He will take a tenth of your sheep and you will be his servants. You will cry out in, in, the, in that day because your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves will not hear you in that day, sorry, verse 18. And you will cry out in that day because your king whom you have chosen for yourselves and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but we will have a king over us that we also might be like all the nations that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. So Samuel heard all the words of the people and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, every man go to his city. Verse one, chapter nine, verse one. And then we'll close here. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zerar, the son of Bekara, the son of Aphiah, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any other people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son, Saul, please take one of the servants with you. Arise, go and look for the donkeys. So he passed through the mountains of Ephraim and through the land of Shalisha. And they did not find them. And they passed through the land of Salim, and they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but but he did not find them. When they had come to the land of Zeph, Saul said to his servant who was with him, come, Let us return, lest our father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. And he said to him, look, now there is a city. There is in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable, honorable man. All that he says surely will come to pass. So let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. And Saul said to his servant, but look, if we go, what shall we bring the man? for the bread of our vessels is gone and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? And the servant answered Saul again saying, look, I have here at hand one fourth of a shekel of silver. I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus: come, let us go to the seer for he is now called a prophet for he's now called a prophet, was formerly called a seer. Then Saul said to his servant, well said, come, let us go. So he went to the city where the man of God was and he went up to the hill of the city. They They met some young women going out to draw water and said to them, is the seer here? And they answered them and said, yes, there he is just ahead of you hurry now for today he came to the city because there is a sacrifice of the people today at the high place as soon as you come into the city you will surely find him before he goes up to the high place to eat for the people will not eat until he comes because he must bless the sacrifice afterward those who are invited will eat now therefore go up for about this time you will find him so they went up to the city and they were coming into the city There was Samuel coming out toward them on the way up to the high place. Now, the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came saying tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel that he may save the people from the hand of the Philistines for I have looked upon my people because their cry has come to me. So when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, there he is, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, please tell me, where is the seer's house? Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place for you shall eat with me today. And tomorrow I will let you go and I will tell you all that is in your heart. But as for your donkeys, They were lost three days ago. Don't be anxious about them, for they have been found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and on all your father's house? And Saul answered and said, I am not a Benjamite of the smallest, I am not a Benjamite of the smallest tribe of Israel and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin. Why then do you speak like this to me? Now Samuel took Saul. And his servant, and brought him up into the hall, and had him sit in the place of honor among those who were invited. There were about thirty persons, and Samuel said to the cook, Bring up bring the portion which I gave you, which I said to you, set it apart. So the cook took up took up the thigh with its upper part and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, Here it is. What was kept back, it was set apart for you. Eat, until this time you have been. sorry, eat, for until this time it has been kept for you, since I said I invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. When they had come down from the high place into the city, Samuel spoke with Saul on the top of the house. They arose early, and it was about the dawning of the city that Samuel called to Saul on the top of the house, saying, Get up, that I may send you on your way. And Saul arose, and both of them went outside. He said to Samuel, and he, sorry. And Saul arose. Both of them went outside. He and Samuel Goodness, verse 27. And they were going down to the outskirts of the city. Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And he went on, but you stand here a while that I may announce to you the word of God. It's a good place to stop. It's a good place to stop. Um, Good place to stop. Lord, speak to us today. Um, speak to us today. I'm, I'm not afforded uh, a lot of time today. Um, that's right. He's never failed us. He has never failed us. That's right. Thank you for the badge. Thank you for the gift. Um, I. We find ourselves in... The beginning of attention. And when I say we find ourselves in the beginning of attention, I want want to make sure you understand what I mean by that. God sought to restore humanity from the beginning. This narrative of ancient Israel is one narrative of the continued failure of the people that God called to restore humanity in the earth through them. He set them aside, gave them the law to become a nation of priests. So the scriptures tell us that they were called to be the nation of priests. He told them, be holy for I am holy. When he said be holy, understand that people think that being holy is about how you dress, the clothes you wear, whether you got tattoos or not, or jewelry or not. They think it's about simply the way you speak and the things you do. And that's not what holiness is. That's not what holiness is. Holiness was about being fundamentally separate, to be different. We just finished reading chapter 9. It's about being other than, distinct from. When God says he's holy, God is not talking about his perfection. He's talking about his distinctness. Is he perfect? Absolutely, he's perfect. But he's so distinct, and in being distinct, he's set apart. And in being set apart, he is perfect because he is the definition of all that is perfect. He is separate, he is set apart. So when he told these people to be holy, he told them that they need to live in a way that was fundamentally different than anyone in the world at that time. They were called into the nation, sorry, into Canaan, this land that was promised to them to be this nation of priests, holy and separate. They were called to be this holy nation. And yet the travesty that we've read all too often, and, and we're, we're, we're seeing this more and more, hey, Mark, good to see you, brother, is that this holiness that they were called to, they perpetually failed in, not just because they broke the law, but because they had this desire to assimilate with their environment. The children of Israel, rather than changing their environment, have this desire to assimilate with the environment. And yet holiness compels us to be distinct, to be different. Does that make sense? To to be different and to be distinct and to be other than. This is not about jewelry or tattoos or how much you read the Bible. There's a difference between righteousness and holiness. They're not mutually exclusive, but they're not the same either. They're not one and the same. And so these children who they did really well in the wilderness to be distinct because there was no environment to influence them. They get to Canaan, and they become like Canaan, they see how Canaan lives, and they begin to live like them i want I want you to understand what, what the the type of moral depravity of canaan this was these were a nation of people who uh practiced um, not just open sexuality but but also practiced um, child sacrifice um, they practiced child abuse child sexual abuse they would um they 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 practiced the abuse of women. Um, uh, human trafficking was a normal thing. Slavery was a normal thing. Life did not have value and even the dignity of human life. There was no dignity in being a human being. It was very animalistic, very much so. And these people now are living a life fundamentally distinct from these people. They were called to be separate from these people. When you would say, I can't believe God would call them to go and eradicate these people, like the whole people that God permitted a genocide. God did not permit a genocide. But God was cleansing humanity. Humanity was at, at I mean, if we, we, we couldn't even, we couldn't do a movie on Canaan without, correct, bestiality, all of it. It was just animalistic. It was, it was worse than animalistic and 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 this land was watered with innocent blood. And then comes the children of Israel who have been given a law, given a different way to rule, a different way to live, a different way to be, a different way to to, to interact. be holy for I am holy. They weren't called to live like them and yet they began to live like them. And not only did they begin to live like them, Judges in the end ends with, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And this is all the human trafficking and the slavery and the, Uh, abuse and the pestilence and disease, and all of that came from that. That's why when you read the scriptures, you cannot. And I say this over and over again, and I know, listen, I saw a comment there that that the Bible permitted it. No, the Bible articulated it. And I can't say this enough, and I keep iterating this over and over, and I know this is probably your first time here, so I'm just going to iterate it again for somebody who hasn't heard this before. But just because something is in the Bible doesn't mean that the Bible condones it. If I write in a book about slavery, it doesn't mean that I condone slavery. It means that I'm chronicling what was happening in that time. And that's the problem because I think a lot of times when people read the Bible, they read the Bible as if it is a book of rules about how Christians ought to live. And that's not what the Bible is about. Remember, what was the, um what What they say the Bible, Bible represents? What was it? Um, basic instructions before leaving earth. That is not what the Bible is. okay i'm sorry i know you probably heard that before but it's not basic instructions the bible is not an instruction manual the bible is a story And that's why often we keep inserting ourselves into the Bible and we keep making about how we ought to live and what we ought to do. And because we do that, we read it like it's a law book for religious people. And yet that's not what the Bible is. And that's why we'll see things in the Bible that are difficult. We'll see things in the Bible that are painful. We'll see things in the Bible and we'll say, look, the Bible allowed this. No, the Bible chronicled it. The Bible articulated it because that was actually what was happening in that time didn't mean that the Bible permitted it. It was exactly, it was the way that they lived. It didn't say that the Bible condoned it. As a matter of fact, he called, did you know that it's actually in the law that God gave the children of Israel, that there were finally women's rights? Did you know that it was actually in the law of the children of Israel, that there were laws to protect the poor? The concept and the idea of feeding the poor and helping the poor, the concept and idea of helping those who were in need, the concept and the idea of protecting the widows and the children, of protecting the orphans. And these were, these were cutting edge ideas. These were ideas that did not exist anywhere else. And yet they were birthed through these people because it represents the law and the justice of God. We cannot look at slavery in the Bible and say that the Bible condones slavery. No. When we make the Bible a law book, then we see slavery in it and we see what was articulated in it. And then we say, well, the Bible says that this is how we ought to live. That is a lie. We need to look back and we need to step away. And that's why I've always said this, that people often insert themselves in the Bible rather than pulling themselves out and saying, okay, let me look at what this is actually saying. Because if you look at what it's actually saying, you'll begin to understand that this is the story of what God is doing through a people that in all of this ugliness and this filthiness and this nastiness and this brokenness and in all of that, the children of Israel were called to bring change to the environment. But by the time the book of Judges ends, they became Canaan. The nation that was set apart became Canaan. It ends with killing, raping, child trafficking. kidnapping. These were the children of Israel that were doing this fam. The children judges ends with the children of Israel at a moral abyss. The children of Israel did not look like the children of God at all and didn't represent the children of God at all. It started off so good. They came into the land of Canaan. Beginning of Judges, end of Judges. Let me read that verse one more time for y'all. At the end of Judges, the last verse of Judges culminates—or sorry, culminates—it culminates with this right here. It says in twenty-five, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. What the book of Judges is teaching us here is what happens when we choose to let the world influence us. To let the social streams of thought influence us. To let what? the environment, to let the environment, the cultural stream, the cultural, what happens when we let culture influence us. This nation of priests were not actually becoming priests. This nation of priests were just part of the story of what was happening. Now, of course we can, spoiler alert, Christ comes, restores all things. And he makes us the nation of priests. We are actually the nation of priests. Now the church is a nation of priests, not by blood, but now a nation of priests by faith. And that we are the fullness of Christ. Did you know that? That's why Ephesians chapter one tells us that we are the fullness of Christ. We are his body. We are the fullness of him. That means that Jesus is alive on this earth right now through his church. (laughs) <laughs> so, Jesus being alive, he's alive through his church right now, right? And he calls us in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, and he says that we are the royal priesthood. We are the nation of priests. We've been chosen to be the nation of priests. That means that going back to the question that someone was asking earlier is, what's the difference between a priest and a pastor? The problem is, is that the office of the priest has now been delegated to every single believer, Every believer is a priest. Because what the church was meant to be is a nation that operated under a different rule and a different government. Are you hearing me? Oh, but no, no, we, 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 we don't have a church. That has been set aside. That is the holy nation. It's sort of a picture of what's happening today where This holy nation of people who were supposed to be the nation of people that eradicated slavery, that eradicated human trafficking, that would bring peace and restoration and justice, now look like the rest of the world because they've been influenced by the rest of the world. Because what the rest of the world wants to do is what is right in its own eyes. In those days, verse 25, Judges 21, 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Does that not sound like our world today? Everyone does what is right in his own eyes. Everything that is wrong in the world is this subjectivity, this subjectivism, this, this moral subjectivism, this your truth and my truth, this my way is my way, your way can be your way. You can live however you wanna live. I'll live however I wanna live. We can each do our own thing and we don't understand that that's the reason why there's so much pain, so much strife, so much suffering, so much brokenness. The reason why the world is upside down is because of me, myself, and I. I see so many dimensions of decline from, um, from this text and from the story we've read up to this point of a people who've been called to this higher calling. The first part of the decline really began in, um, I'm sorry y'all I'm ranting, but stay with me. But the first part of the decline really began in Exodus when the children of God willingly asked for God to prohibit Himself from speaking to them, and that they would rather hear from a prophet instead. It began there, that the people of God would have rather heard from a human being who heard from God than from God Himself. we see his decline. Moses then became the first prophet. Moses became the first prophet, not because God set Moses aside to make Moses somehow higher than everyone else, but because the people, the children of Israel who had access to God directly chose for there to be a prophet instead of God. It is there that the office of the prophet was born. The office of the prophet was born out of a, out of the people who said, you know what, Moses, you do the God thing and you tell us whatever God needs to tell us. Okay. You speak on behalf of God, you be the mediator. This is the propensity that we have, that we would rather hear from God when it's convenient for us to actually be committed in relationship and be accountable and to give it all to him and no 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 but i want to hear from god whenever it's expedient the office of the prophet did not came out of the people's request to 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 stop hearing from god <laughs> It was then that because they chose not to speak that he became the the the, the seer. He was the seer. This is the, the 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 first prophet that we see in the scripture. And it came through the people who chose not to hear from God. Now we see that there was a prophet but now Moses is gone. Joshua is gone. The judges who ruled, we saw that these were uh, These were people who (laughs) profoundly fell short of the image of what a priest or a prophet or a king would be. And yet in the end, they just chose, you know, we're going to be our own king. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Judges closes with that. And then the story continues in 1 Samuel. I said this to you guys, uh, I think two days ago, that this story is about the ushering in of a king. There's an awaiting of a king because we need a rule. We need a government. Something needs to bring order to this. There's chaos and destruction and death and pestilence and war and disease, and there's no peace. There's unrest, all this. We need restoration. We need things to be brought to order. We need a government. But there cannot be a government without a king. And there cannot be a king without the prophet. And so Samuel now comes into the story. And Samuel is ushering in a king. (laughs) But we're going to see that this yearning for a king was the yearning for the wrong kind of king. Wrong king. We're going to see this as we go on and continue on. But what really sticks out to me today is the degrees of separation that we see that is happening here. We saw a spiritual separation when the children of Israel willingly said, we don't want to hear from God, we want to hear from Moses. Moses You speak to us on behalf of God, because man, God is a terrifying being to hear from. One degree of separation. Then we see now another degree of separation in this text, because Israel is awaiting a king. There needs to be a government and a rule, but Israel wants the kind of king that the Canaanites have. Did you hear me? Israel wants a king. Let's look at it. Let's look at it. Um, we, what we were reading just now, I know we read a lot. There was a lot that we read through and, but this is the one thing that's really sticking out to me is, is that, um, we talked a little bit about the war and the, the, um, the the Ark of the Covenant yesterday, and I think really I got to my point there about what we what was happening in this text is that God is not to be manipulated. He's not there to serve you. He's not there. You you don't get to just carry His Ark around and think you're just going to win a battle. God doesn't want you to manipulate His presence. He wants you to be in His presence. And yet, when His presence was being manipulated, this is a quick note. When His presence was being manipulated, God said, out of the pride of thinking that if you have the ark that you'll win the battle, I'm going to allow you to lose the battle, to help you understand that just because you have images of my presence doesn't mean that I'm with you. And for many of us, we think that the images of God's presence is good enough for us. This is the the struggle that you're dealing with, Melissa. The struggle that you're dealing with, Melissa, is you're trying to encounter the presence of God through the mediating of the book and through, you know, church and through creeds and through practices. And yet the presence of God cannot be contained inside of a box. So the very representation of the presence of God is what they thought would give them the victory and God had to show them that just because you carry my box doesn't mean I'm with you. And they lost the battle. We saw that. But then the box, once it got to the Philistines, brought disease and pestilence and all that. All that to say is that the presence of God can be a blessing for some and a curse to others. Another conversation for another day. However, we see Samuel who's judging. Samuel judges Israel. And all the days he's judging Israel, they get the victory, all that good stuff. We read it all, right? We read it. And then remember, they have the stone in between. That's where we hear the, the term Ebenezer, which is Ibn Etzer, Ibn Eben, which is really the word even, which is the word rock or stone, and etzer meaning help, the stone that helps. Even etzer, Ebenezer, the word Ebenezer that we get, which means thus far the Lord has helped us. That's where we get the name Ebenezer from. And, and we see the miraculous power of God that God confused the Philistines. The Philistines took off never to come back. And now Israel has peace. Israel has peace, but then in chapter 8, they demand a king. But here's a travesty. Pay very close attention. This is the part that's really getting to me today, and then I'm done. I'm done. In verse 5, we read verse 4. Then the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Samuel's getting old. Israel's been doing pretty good, but Samuel's getting old. They know Samuel's about to go and they know his sons ain't it. They don't want to go back to not having a king or rule or someone to judge over them. And he says to them, make us a king to judge us like all the nations. (sighs) Judges ends with, there was no king. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. But then they want a king, but they want the king that will judge them like all the nations. They want what the Philistines have. They want what the Canaanites have. They want someone to rule them, like the Canaanites have someone to rule them. They, they want a government, but they want a government like the government in Canaan. They they want to be ruled, but they want to be ruled like 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 them. They have a king. Why can't we have a king? We want a king too. Samuel, of course, gets angry and upset. And the Lord says to him, Heed the voice in verse seven, heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they did not, they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me that i should not reign over them they wanted a king but they wanted the wrong king they wanted a king but now not only have they asked to not hear from god but now they're asking to be ruled by a man they, they didn't they didn't want Christ's lordship. They didn't didn't want the rule of Yahweh over them. No, no, no. They wanted a different government. One that's ruled like everybody else rules. They want a different philosophy. One that's ruled like everybody else. They were a nation that wanted to be ruled by Mankind, by human being, by cultural philosophy, by cultural thought, by by sociological thinking, by relativism, by everything else that we see that's going on. They just want to be ruled, but but not God's rule. We prefer man's rule over God's rule. We want to be like everybody else because it's so much easier to be ruled by man than God. It's sad because I asked myself this question today. Does the nation of God want to be ruled by Christ? Or does the nation of God want to be ruled by the world? I said this yesterday. I know I'm ranting. Remember, I got no cohesive thought. I'm just reflecting. And this is my conviction today. And it was my conviction yesterday. And it's going to continue to be my conviction. I don't know why, but as many times as I've read Samuel, for some reason, this is where I'm being convicted right now, family. And here's the reality the reality is for many of us, we who grew up in church did not grow up with Christ ruling. We grew up on a cultural philosophy that we packaged as theology. So we grew up with a way to think culturally that now dictates and rules over how the church runs. I'm going to say some things that are going to sound really uncomfortable. I get very, very, very uncomfortable with churches that find it critically important that the American flag is waving on the stage. I find it difficult when there are churches that will make conservative political philosophy, theology. And also for liberal churches that make liberal socialism, theology. Or for churches that make ethnic identity, theology. Or for churches that make a way of thinking, There are churches that will tell you that if you vote for this person, you are not Christian. They will tell you that if you support this particular political idea, you are not Christian. Both, both sides, both liberal and conservative, they are both evil. They are both evil. When you allow those philosophies to influence the church, when you allow culture, and this is why I know somebody just brought up the whole gay marriage thing. The reason why I want to bring this up because this is, this is really, really critical. This is really, really critical. Somebody's got to hear this because the same people who criticize the fact that there are churches now that have brought gay marriage into the church as a result of the cultural stream of thought I call them hypocrites because you've also let a cultural stream of thought influence your theology. I find more theologies come out of political philosophies than out of the scriptures themselves. When there are churches who praise and celebrate, there's something wrong in our nation of priests. If we are the royal priesthood and we are the nation of priests, something is wrong when we, as a nation of priests, quote presidents, philosophers, and theologians more than we quote scripture. Something is wrong with that. And it is the very ideological rule over the church particularly in america that's the reason why the american church was complicit in the propagation of slavery in the united states slavery was undergirded by the american church why because we wanted another king And even in Europe, when we talk about, when we talk about the, 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 the liberal communist society and, and liberal communist and Marxist thinking, when that influenced the church, it became the liberal Christianity that has now caused the death of the church in Europe. We allowed a king to rule when Jesus is king. The moment your theology is informed by your philosophy, you're not ruled by Christ anymore. The moment that your theology is ruled by your preference and how you feel and how you think the way things should be and why you think the way things should be the way they are. And because I feel like it's unfair, God don't care about your feelings, (laughs) not on the matter of justice not on the matter of righteousness. And the reality is, is I see a church where there are liberal Christians who are arguing with conservative Christians when both of them are wrong. Both are wrong. I'm sorry, family, I'm getting a little hot. I'm getting a little upset. I'm getting a little hot. I'm getting a little twisted. I'm getting a little bothered. And the reason why I'm getting bothered is, is I'm tired of, 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 Politics, philosophy, cultural thought coming in and influencing the church. We have let the church be influenced by another king. So my question for any church is, is Jesus king or are you looking for a king? Because the king you're looking for, he'll look good. He'll look good. He'll he'll look the part. Saul looked the part. The scriptures tell us there's no man that looked better than Saul. Saul was attractive. He was tall. There was no one as tall as Saul. There was no one as good looking as Saul. The man had it. The man had it. He had everything. And and now we're about to see him. He's about to be um, anointed as king. Samuel has been forced to give them a king. Because what does God say here? This is the travesty. Please remember this, guys. Stay with, and I need you to pray about this. Stay with it. It's the Lord said to Samuel in Samuel 8, the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, they have rejected me. The moment you choose republicanism as your Christian faith, you have rejected Christ the moment you choose socialism as even a part of your faith you have rejected christ the moment you choose the democratic position you have rejected christ now you saying i can't be a democrat and be christ. i did not say that what i'm saying is if your christianity is identified by a political philosophy you've rejected christ you are not ruled by culture and society jesus ought to rule your life you are not ruled by how you feel. You're not ruled by your preference. You're not ruled by the way that you want to live and how you feel. And I just feel like it should be this way. And this is what makes me happy. And this is how things should be. Me, myself, and I is the reason why we're here. What makes me happy is the reason why we're here. Because we want the tall, good-looking king who will Give us what we want because everybody else has a king. We've chosen pastors who look the part because we want a king, but who aren't the part. We've chosen leaders who look the part, but who aren't the part. I remember, and I'm going to close I think I'm going to title this one, Wrong King. The Wrong King. You know what? The the whole time they were looking for a king, they already had one. (laughs) They already had one, but they chose and rejected him. They rejected him for another king. I find that we all fall into that temptation to reject Christ for another king. I remember going to a church and uh, and this was uh, during McCain and Obama and I remember walking to the church and going to the service and the pastor preached an entire message about how to vote John McCain is to vote biblically. And I went I said, since when did John McCain become my king? (laughs) Since when did voting for John McCain become the biblical vote? Wrong king. Got up and walked out. I remember uh, going to a church. The pastor was preaching a message and he said, God wants your happiness. So seek what makes you happy. Because what makes you happy is what God wants for you. I've never heard a king tell me that I do what makes you happy. I don't think that's how kingship and lordship works. And I have people right now who their lives, they want to compartmentalize their lives and put church and Jesus over here, but they are more passionate about AOC than they are about Jesus. Christians, y'all, who are more passionate about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez than they are about Jesus. There are people right now who are more passionate about Donald Trump than they are about Jesus. You talk about Jesus and say, hey, bro, you know, don't talk about Jesus, but you talk about Donald Trump and they'll go nuts, lose their mind. In America, especially in the American church, there are many American churches where Donald Trump has become king. And he still is. And there are also many churches, and I know I'm, I'm getting that conservative uh, churches, but there are also many churches that it's my feeling and myself that's become king. There are churches that their race has become king. Been the black churches that somehow shame you if you're a black man who gets married to a white woman and somehow you can't find you can't find community here anymore because you're a black man married to a white woman so what your skin color is now your god since when did he not reconcile all men to himself Or are you still consumed by the cultural streams of thought? (sighs) I grieve our church today because our church wants a king. But my question is, is our church seeking after Jesus? Because if Jesus is king, some churches would actually shut down. If Jesus is king, some churches would actually shrink. (laughs) If Jesus is king, some pastors wouldn't be pastors. If Jesus is king, some prophets wouldn't be prophets. If Jesus is king, there'd be a lot of churches that just simply wouldn't exist. If Jesus was king. But no, we like Saul. So give us Saul. We're going to see where this goes, fam. I know we're staying in attention. We're going to continue to read this tomorrow. But Saul's about to be inducted as king. He's about to be ordained as king. And we're going to see what happens when you've chosen a King that isn't your King. And we'll see how all creation is still groaning, waiting for the coming of the King. Father, we thank you today. Um, Lord, that you're convicting us even now that maybe we've sought the Ark of the covenant and not your presence. Maybe we've been looking for the wrong king. Maybe we've been seeking after the wrong king. Lord, convict us today about whether or not you rule over us. Convict us, Lord, of the places that we need to let go of and to just trust in you to rule. Lord, be king over our heart, be king over our home, be king over our careers, be king over our finances, be king over all that we do, Father. Lord, we submit to you. Lord, bless us, Lord. And as we're convicted, Lord, lead us, Lord, to the path of righteousness. Lord, give us correction when we need correction and tune our heart and align our hearts to you. And I ask that in Jesus' name, I pray.